part three of uh, our uh, series on Spirit of the Antichrist. And for this message, I'm actually going to uh, take some of the information that I have presented uh, in my What in the World is Going On series and kind of cover it in a message I'm calling Globalism and the Coming One World Religion. Uh, so I will, as we get to the end of our uh, Sunday School Hour, I'll talk to you a little bit more about where you can find all six parts in this series, which are available free at the Not Works website. You can watch them anytime or at our Rumble, Rumble channel or on our podcast channel. Um, but this is kind of taking several pieces of information that I have kind of already covered in other uh, settings to uh, discuss this issue of globalism and the coming one world religion. So we are living uh, in a time of historic change, very rapid change. It's, it's uh, coming at us uh, more radically and faster than in any other time in human history. So much so, in fact, that uh, many major news outlets and major publications and even key world figures are suggesting that we start using B.C. and A.C. to reckon time. New York Times, for example, our new historical divide, B.C. and A.C., before Corona and after Corona. Here's the uh, London uh, Financial Times, the life B.C. and A.C. So we are seeing uh, a rapid change in the paradigm and the way things are, are happening all around us. And as I've talked about starting last night, this is by design. This is not some organic you know, thing that's just happened uh, naturally. It's something that is synthetic, being put together and orchestrated by a Luciferian elite that pulled the strings behind the scenes. And so... Uh, you know, sometimes things are happening so fast that the effects of this change are upon us before we even realize it. And when the changes are evil and nefarious and dangerous and have a, a, a bad agenda behind them, then it becomes very, very important to pay attention. So, uh, you, know, you know, we call this uh, concept of uh, things coming on the scene quickly that very, very rapidly blossom into a new normal. Uh, I call this concept walk-ons. It's a literary technique, a walk-on. Uh, we see this in novels. We see this in uh, movies and television shows. We also see it in historical narrative portions of Scripture. I'm thinking about the book of, <clears throat> the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you find that Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses these walk-ons as he tells the story of the early church. Well, what do we mean by a walk-on? Well, for example, in chapter 1, of Acts, you see a passing reference to a guy named Peter in, in the upper room as the disciples were uh, choosing a replacement for Judas. He's just mentioned as being there, but then, of course, very quickly in the narrative, Peter becomes the central figure. He preaches the famous sermon in chapter 2 and becomes the first uh, pastor of the uh, Jerusalem Baptist Church, right? And uh, so then Barnabas is another one in chapter 4. He's just mentioned in passing as a guy who was giving, selling some land and giving it to the early church. He's mentioned in the same context as Ananias and Sapphira who did the same thing but lied about it. And then later on, of course, Barnabas takes center stage in the book of Acts as Paul's traveling companion on his first journey. Then Stephen is mentioned in chapter 6 as just one person in a list of six people that is a key servant in the early church as the church began to grow and the Apostles needed help with caring for the flock, and so he's mentioned along with Philip, by the way, in that same passage as just two guys in a list. Well, what happens later on? Well, very quickly, Stephen takes center stage in the next chapter, and he's the first martyr, and Philip takes center stage a little bit later when he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. 
again and again and again. We see this with Saul in chapter 7 of Acts. He's just mentioned as a leading Pharisee whom the people that stoned Stephen to death laid their coats at his feet. What happens? The next chapter, suddenly he's meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus and he becomes a central figure, frankly, for the rest of the book of Acts. So we call these walk-ons. And what we're seeing is some walk-ons on the stage today that I believe are setting the stage for uh, the fulfillment of end times prophecy. We won't know, of course, that this is the case until after it happens, but it's certainly reasonable to conjecture and it certainly seems very possible as we uh, look at the signs of the time. So we're asking the question, could today's walk-ons be signaling the arrival of the Antichrist? This series this weekend, we're calling it Spirit of the Antichrist, and uh, more than ever, it's crucial that we ask the question, is the stage being set for uh, the Antichrist? So we've uh, looked at these verses before. I just want to put them before you again. Proverbs 22.3, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Remember, evil there just means danger in the original Hebrew, not moral evil, but difficulty, trouble, a crisis, danger. So one translation puts it this way, a prudent person sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and uh, suffer uh, for it. So business as usual is really no longer acceptable. We have literally experienced a massive sh paradigm shift in our world today, and Christians need uh, to, uh, to uh, awaken. You know, at a time when the country is going woke, we need Christians to be woken up to the reality that is before us. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And Paul said, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. You know, I've pointed out in another um, conference that I did that the church is like the ark. You know, Noah probably told his sons shortly before the flood, you think it stinks in here now, wait until the Lord closes the door. Well, if you think it's bad now, it's only going to get worse if the Lord tarries his coming because depravity is a degenerative disease. It doesn't get better with time. Satan, as we've established last night, if you weren't able to watch or listen to those uh, messages, I really encourage you to do so. It lays the foundation theologically for what we're talking about today. But uh, we established that Satan has been hard at work for 6,000 years trying to take over the world. He hates God. He hates truth. He hates the light. He hates life. He is the author of death. He's a murderer from the beginning and a liar. And he wants to take over this world and make it his own. He tried to take heaven, couldn't do it. God kicked him out. Now this is his playground and he wants to take over the earth. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, 1 John uh, chapter 5. He's the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. And so uh, things are getting worse and worse. And Paul told us that would be the case. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, turning their ears away from the truth. Turning their ears away from the truth and instead accepting fables. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, there is, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, a hidden agenda, hidden in the sense that it's not readily tangibly visible in the empirical world, but it is very much real. And it is a cosmic struggle between God and Satan, between good and evil, as uh, we uh, see things coming to a climax. Remember, Satan is, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So what in the world is, is going on? One of the biggest walk-ons today that we see setting the stage for the future is a guy by the name of 
Klaus Schwab and his great satanic uh, reset. Most of you by now probably know the name Klaus Schwab and are familiar with the World Economic Forum. Their whole order out of chaos mantra or build back better is what they like to call it around the World Economic Forum. And basically every single news item that we see happening today, not just in connection with the pandemic, but with everything that's going on geopolitically and otherwise, can be traced back to the extremely influential World Economic Forum that has its tentacles in just about everything. Uh, this Wednesday in the ongoing uh, series, What in the World is Going On, that I'm uh, pr producing on Wednesdays, we're at part seven, and I'm going to be talking about secret societies, and I'm going to be talking about the connection between the World Economic Forum and the Council on Foreign Relations and many others, for example. But they talk a lot at the World Economic Forum about stakeholder capitalism, which is just a code word for communism. Basically, it says, uh, we understand that there are people throughout the world, citizens of the world, who have a stake in the economy and, and somehow benefit from the economy, but and we want to be sensitive to them, but we do not want them to have any control whatsoever. The control should rest in the hands of a Luciferian elite that are smarter than the rest of the common folk, and uh, we... It sounds really good when you read their literature. You know, they, you know, I'm a stakeholder. Well, I must be pretty important. You're not important. They could care less what you think. Uh, they are a, a rapidly advancing an agenda. The World Economic Forum was uh, heavily influenced by the Club of Rome. Uh, it was really uh, back in 1971 that the World Economic Forum got uh, started. And it was the founders of the Club of Rome were Aurelio Pici, Alexander King, and David Rockefeller. And we talked about him last night. He's got his fingers in just about everything. He just recently died. Um, but the purpose of the Club of Rome uh, was to influence the world and help to accomplish a one-world government system. That was what they stated in their uh, governing documents, in their founding documents. The World Economic Forum was originally founded as the European Management Forum, but its name was changed in 1987 to the World Economic Forum. Form. And its mission, at least in their own words, is improving the state of the world by engaging business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. To shape global agendas, a one-world system. It's widely known, the World Economic Forum is, for its annual meeting at Davos, Switzerland. And in fact, if you listen carefully to the mainstream uh, media... And by the way, in part five, I believe it is, of this What in the World is Going On series, I talk about how to interpret the news. And I give some suggested alt-media resources that can be helpful for gaining information. But the, the mainstream media, as we discussed last night, is completely bought and paid for. It is uh, uh, agenda-driven propaganda. But you can, if you know how, you can kind of look beyond what they're saying and, and kind of glean some information uh, from it, But if you watch the mainstream media, you'll, you'll often hear them refer to world leaders, wealthy elites as Davos men or Davos women, meaning they have been given the stamp of approval of the World Economic Forum. One of the Club of Rome's first productions was a 1972 book called The Limits to Growth, in which they advocated for killing millions of people. It was a depopulation eugenics program, and that book remains extremely influential to this day in the eugenicist movement and is frequently quoted in the mainstream media. Most people have no idea what they're quoting. It's kind of like Darwin, you know, the, you get selected quotes in your seventh grade biology teacher, but you don't realize how much of a murderer Darwin was, how he wanted to kill the feeble-minded and the people who had a limp or people of color or anybody that didn't look like him should be wiped from the face of the earth. 
because he was a eugenicist, not a scientist. Same thing with this book. People would be stunned if you were to read this book and see some of the quotes that were in it. And yet, you know, Anderson Cooper and Sean Hannity and people like that mention it all the time as if it's just wonderful literature and a guiding principle for today. So they call this the Great Reset. I believe it really amounts to the Luciferian endgame. Um, and it's very important to understand that contrary to the title of the book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, that uh, uh, Schwab and Mallory uh, put out, it, the, the uh, Great Reset is not and was not a response to this pandemic that, of course, the official narrative says was organic. They had already been talking about a Great Reset for decades. In fact, what was really amazing is, and I've seen screenshots of both, but in the early days of the pandemic, if you went to their website, all of the material was there about the Great Reset and how they need to change this and change that and change this. But then within just a few weeks of the pandemic being rolled out, they went in and changed the titles on a lot of those pages, and they called it the COVID-19 Great Reset. And initially, a lot of researchers thought, oh, you know, see, they're, you know, they're, they, this has been their plan all along of a COVID-19 thing. No, it was, it was something they added to what their agenda had already been. Uh, and, of course, as I talk about in part three of uh, what in the world is going on, the evidence is smoking gun clear that this was a planned Demic, something that was a pre-planned agenda, and but but their great reset wasn't new. They've been working on this for decades and decades uh, and decades. So, what we're about to explain uh, this morning uh, might uh, even make those that are well initiated into the great uh, satanic reset and the Luciferian conspiracy cringe a little bit. But if you've never studied this, this stuff, uh, then all I can say is, you know, get ready. Welcome to the asylum. It's not going to be. A fun bit of, uh, of information. Uh, this is a lot of bad news. Of course, we know the good news. We know uh, ultimately that God wins in the end. We, we look at everything we see happening in the world through the lens of Scripture, and we know who wins in the end. But we have to be uh, wise. We have to be prepared, as Proverbs 22.3 says, and recognize that Satan's 6,000-year-old plan to take over the world for himself uh, is happening even as we speak. So again, their book, the COVID-19, the Great Reset. I'll give you some quotes from that uh, in a moment. Uh, but it's basically their long-planned agenda for a one-world economic, political, and religious system. And remember, the Bible says that ultimately the Antichrist, Satan's minion, is going to be demand that everyone worship him. So uh, major news organizations have picked this up. Look at this cover from Time Magazine, November 2020, at the height of the pandemic. And it shows the world being completely remade. Uh, and if you read the article, it's talking about ushering in a one-world system. It's, it's really frightening when you think about what they're trying to do with the world. Now, Klaus Schwab is at the center of this. I think he's a key walk-on, not suggesting he's the Antichrist by any stretch, but he's definitely a pawn in the game and someone who right now is uh, driving this Agenda. He was born in Ravensburg in 1938 in southern Germany, about 445 miles south of Berlin and 100 miles north of Davos, Switzerland. It's the reason they hold the conference there every year. He's a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, a police state regime built on fear and violence, on brainwashing and control and propaganda and lies and eugenics, on dehumanization and disinfection, and on a chilling and grandiose vision of a new world order that would last a thousand years. He's in his 80s now, but he dedicated his life to reinventing Hitler's dystopian nightmare and to trying to turn it into a reality, not just for Germany, but for the whole world. 
His own words confirm time and time again, as we shall see, his twisted, satanic, transhumanist vision, which will merge humans with machines in a curious mix of digital and analog life, his words, which will infect our bodies with smart dust, his words, and in which police will be able to read our brains. And as we shall see, he and his Luciferian co-conspirators are using COVID-19, this crisis, to bypass democratic accountability and override opposition to accelerate their agenda and impose it on the rest of mankind. They call this the Great Reset. Now, Klaus Schwab likes to appear in his galactic garb when making major announcements. He's a very odd man. This is an actual uh, marketing picture of him. And unsurprisingly, uh, Schwab is connected to Jeffrey Epstein, like many others that are part of the Luciferian elite. Schwab is the front man for the New World Order agenda, and while the Luciferian conspiracy is not monolithic by any stretch, it's very complex, and often the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing because Satan himself is not omniscient. Nevertheless, he's in the driver's seat. He's at mission command, you might say. Schwab's history on the Internet has been well sanitized, making it difficult to find out much about his early life, although there are researchers that have written plenty of print material uh, with well-documented evidence showing his background. But his family was active in Nazi uh, Germany in the Nazi agenda during World World War II. Bill Gates became a fixture at the World Economic Forum starting in 1996. Henry Kissinger is also very influential in the World Economic Forum, as is the late David Rockefeller and Al Gore. These are not necessarily the most influential people, although I would put Bill Gates and Kissinger and Rockefeller up there. But I just mentioned Al Gore because they... Almost every major American political figure has been a guest and key speaker at World Economic Forum national and regional uh, conferences. At the da- uh, meetings at Davos, these uh, attendees often meditate, uh, have uh, these mindfulness sessions, they call them, where they uh, literally meditate on demons and try to imagine a better world free from overpopulation where all the useless breathers are wiped off uh, the face of the earth. So here's uh, one of Klaus Schwab's famous quotes. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Most of the big pharma corporations, including the ones that have produced the COVID vaccinations, are listed as key partners right on the World Economic Forum website. Uh, Klaus Schwab says, at the time of writing, and he's referring here to his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, At the time of writing, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short answer is never. Not if I have anything to say about it is is the implication there. Nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy. By broken, he means when everybody had individual freedoms and alienable rights and governments had national sovereignty. That appeared to be normal, but that was really a broken uh, system. Uh, broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. It's an ACBC type of thing. Some analysts call it a major bifurcation. Others refer to a deep crisis of biblical proportions. See, the Satanists know the Bible. They don't believe it. They think they can win, but they know the Bible. But the essence remains the same. The world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. Radical changes of such consequences are coming that some pundits have referred to a before-coronavirus and an after-coronavirus era. We will continue to be surprised by both the rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes as they conflate with each other. They will provoke second 
third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects, and unforeseen outcomes. Now, in his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, he says it's going to affect every affect the very essence of our human experience. It is basically techno-tyranny. The book came out in 2017. You'll often hear it referred to as 4IR by the insiders. This is the fourth industrial revolution is, is basically making human beings part of an internet of bodies, an internet of things where everything about us is, <clears throat> is tracked. And you'll get a knock at the door, and they even talk about this openly. I've talked about it in the full series. Uh, where someone, you know, uh, health officials, health police will come to your door and they'll say, hello, Mr. Smith, hello, Mrs. Smith, we're here to take you to the hospital. What are you talking about? Well, we've noticed that you're coming down with the flu and they'll notice it before you even notice it. Uh, that's how integrated our body's systems will be to the uh, satanic cloud. He says, to achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies from education to social contracts and working conditions. I don't think I'm going to play this short promotional clip from the World Economic Forum. Chances are some of you have seen this. It's, it's out there all over the place. They're putting it on mainstream media outlets and elsewhere. Uh, but it, it gives, in their own words, uh, eight predictions for the world by 2030. One of which, the very first one, is you will own nothing and you'll be happy about it. That's their goal. They just put it right out there. In fact, I watched a a uh, seminar that was put on by a World Economic Forum speaker, a representative, and it was a lady, and she was literally mocking those who thought they needed to own things. She was acting all enlightened and high and mighty. Why do you need to own things? You don't need to own things. Just be content to have what we give you, and you can rent it, even your own bodies. You can just lease uh, your own bodies. They're uh, promoting the Great Reset to our children. We talked about the gender surrender movement last night and how that's being promoted uh, to our children, but they're doing the same thing uh, with uh, our uh, children. So, I mean, just think about it, how the impressionable young minds, and he's comparing the great satanic reset to change the world so that it all worships Satan, to setting your alarm clock. It's complete propaganda. Uh, it's a new normal, as they uh, talk about. Um, it, they use terms like global governance, biosecurity, the New Deal for Nature, or the Fourth Industrial Revolution, these terms that have very nefarious and specific meanings to the insiders, but to the average person uh, who's just listening to Fox News or CNN, it sounds pretty impressive. You know, sounds like we're part of something pretty good. I mean, the Industrial Revolution was a pretty good thing, right? I mean, who doesn't like, you know, indoor plumbing and air travel and penicillin? I mean, those are pretty positive developments. So when you liken this to the fourth Industrial Revolution, people miss uh, the point. So Schwab sits at the center of this matrix like a spider on a giant web. His aim is to replace democracy with a global leadership of hand-picked and unelected officials whose duty is not to serve the public, but to impose the rule of the Luciferian elite on that public with as little interference from the rest of us uh, as possible. So I want to take a moment and talk about human government from the biblical perspective and God's uh, plan of the ages. 
So if you think about uh, God's, first of all, priority of relationships, you can learn a lot about God's principles for mankind by just the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And the order of relationships is pretty important. It starts with man-God. That's our number one priority, our number one relationship. Then husband-wife came next. Then parent-child. And then, interestingly, citizen-government. So God intends for human beings to function within the realm of citizen government. If you look at it over time, it started with a globalism approach. There were no nation states till after the flood. It was basically one people of God, one people on earth, some of them believers, some of them not, but it was a global uh, government. But over, and, and we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where he says, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the moose of Alaska and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then uh, as we move forward, we see a shift into nationalism after the flood. So as we all probably know in this biblically astute uh, church that in Genesis 6, the uh, fallen angels, some of them left their proper domain, came down, cohabited with women, produced a race of Nephilim, and God said, this has gone too far. Enough is enough. And he destroyed the earth, save for one righteous family, Noah, on the ark. And they came off of the ark, and then they repopulated uh, the earth. Now, it didn't change the depravity of man, and of course, it didn't take long for us to get right back to it. But if you look at a time uh, table here, we know that 656 years after creation, God destroyed uh, the earth, and it, it didn't take long for Satan to work his evil spell. Within 1,600 years of creation, Satan had already so permeated the world and so tried to mess with the human uh, DNA and and really affect all of this, that uh, it had, uh, you, God had to destroy the earth. And so if we kind of zoom in, we are using here Usher's widely accepted date for creation as roughly 444 B.C. As we said, uh, the date of the flood was 1656 uh, A.M. There stands for Anu, uh, Anu Mundi, the year of the world. So 1656 years after creation, the world was destroyed by the flood. So that puts the flood at 2348 uh, BC. And so if you take the current year minus one, so it's 2021, but there was no year zero. It goes from one BC straight to one AD, but in actuality, two years took place. So uh, you got to subtract one. It basically, we've had 4,368 years since uh, the flood. And uh, so if you go back to Genesis 11, what you find out is that uh, roughly the year 2242 BC, about a hundred years after the flood, that the whole earth had one language and one speech. And so uh, God scattered them. He said, uh, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Let us have brick for stone and, and asphalt for mortar. And come, let us build for ourselves a tower whose top is in the heavens. This is the Tower of Babel. This was a post-flood rebellion against the Creator by Noah's descendants. And God judged them by dividing a single, their single language and, and making multiple nations and people groups and languages. And this is when they spread out. This is the reason we ended up with different skin shades and eye shapes and all of those types of, of things. But why did they want to build this tower? Why, shortly after the flood, waters receded and they began to repopulate the earth, why... Did they want to build this tower? Well, for that answer, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 10 and a warrior named Nimrod. Nimrod was the grandson of Ham, who's the son of Cush. So he was Ham's, grand, he, uh, he was Ham's grandson. And uh, Ham was one of Noah's sons, as you know. 
And so the Hebrew name Nimrod means we shall rebel, and boy did they. The biblical Nimrod is the first powerful king of a nation state on earth. And the first cities of his kingdom were cities like Babylon, Nineveh, and uh, Assyria, cities in Assyria. According to Josephus, that first century historian, we learn the reason that Nimrod and his uh, cohorts built the tower. Listen to what we read. He, Nimrod, persuaded them uh, to attribute their prosperity not to God, but to their own valor. And little by little, transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon his power. He threatened to have his revenge on God if he wished to inundate the earth again, for he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. This is from the first century A.D. It's not inspired biblical text, but it's a historical document that Josephus tells us the reason Nimrod and his cohorts built that tower is because they were blatantly in your face against God. And they said, well, last time we, we, we tried to supersede his authority, he flooded the world. Well, we're going to prevent that. We're going to build this tower. So if he tries to get us again, we can rise above uh, the floodwaters. And so what do we read? Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And, uh, and this is what they begin to do. And nothing will be withheld from with them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord God scattered them abroad. So now we've shifted in from globalism into nationalism. And that's when you have the different kingdoms over time. And ultimately the Abrahamic promise comes about. And then the nation of Israel is born. And then all the different pagan lands come against Israel. But we shifted into, in God's plan, a nationalistic era. And we're still in that today. We're still living in an era where God's means of establishing order on earth is nationalistic. And until God shifts that, which won't be, at least biblically, the right way, until Christ comes back and takes the throne and rules as the Prince of Peace in a perfect world with justice and righteousness and a rod of iron, until that time, God wants us to fight for nationalism. Nationalism is his order of the day. And so when these Satanists come along and insist that we've got to get rid of national sovereignty, destroy America, bring order out of chaos so that we can have a one world system, we need to resist that. But we do know that ultimately we are headed into a return to globalism. First, under the leadership of the Antichrist and potentially even before then, but ultimately under the leadership of of Christ. So we see this, these references to a satanic system when the book of Daniel, for example, talks about uh, the fourth kingdom, the fourth beast that shall arise and cover the whole earth. And Revelation says authority was given him, the Antichrist, over every tribe, tongue, and nation. His authority and power are great. He's trying to deceive the whole world. And eventually he will be cast into the lake of fire so that he should deceive the nations no more. And uh, so uh, we read in Psalm 2, I talked about this last night, uh, a reference to this Luciferian conspiracy when the nations are raging and the kings of the earth conspiring together against the Lord and his anointed, that's Christ, the Messiah, and they're trying to break their bonds. It's no different than what Nimrod did at the Tower of Babel. By the way, I just finished me uh, preaching a, a message on Psalm 2 in which I talk about the Luciferian conspiracy called One Nation Under God. You can check that out uh, on the video page of our 
uh, website. But we know eventually it will return to a divine globalism where God's in charge because David goes on to tell us that he who sits in the heavens shall laugh because my king's already been installed. He's just sitting at the right hand of God, the throne in waiting, waiting for God to say, come back and take the throne. So we know that someday the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Uh, we know that Isaiah the prophet predicted that someday the governments will be upon the shoulders of this Christ child and of the increase in his government there will be no end from that time forward uh, forevermore. Daniel said, God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed someday, and it shall stand forever because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So what in the world is going on? I believe we are standing on the precipice, if you will, of this shift once again back to globalism. I think we've never been closer, and I think all the signs of the times point including all of these walk-ons, to uh, a uh, shift back to a globalism, which we know from the biblical record is absolutely coming. Now, one of the biggest walk-ons in this, in this uh, satanic agenda is uh, the CFR and the UN in particular, the United Nations after World War II. John Foster Dulles is a co-founder with Rockefeller of the CFR and a delegate to the UN General Assembly, and he actually helped write the UN Charter. And in his book, War or Peace, he says the United Nations represents not a final stage in the development of a world order, but only a primitive stage. Therefore, its primary task is to create the conditions which will make possible a more highly developed organization. In other words, the UN, based on the guy who wrote its charter, came into existence to help usher in a one-world system. In that same book, he says, I've never seen any proposal made for collective security with teeth in it, or for world government, or for world federation, which could not be carried out either by the United Nations or under the United Nations Charter. Who were some of the early members of the United Nations? Well, wonderful guys like Alger Hiss and Joseph Stalin. Here's a recent video. Listen carefully to this 20-second clip. This is the Pope arriving to speak at the UN. Listen to what the commentators say here. On the 70th anniversary of the founding of the UN, the Pope is going to speak and give the UN their marching orders for the next decade and a half. Right? We talked about the Pope uh, last night. Uh, speaking of uh, world leaders who are actually doing the bidding of other uh, people, uh, Biden, listen to this 17-second quote. Uh, he's, this is at a meeting of the Council on Foreign Relations, which, remember, is in, in, integrally tied to the... Uh, UN and, and he says uh, he says this. My name is Richard Haas. I work here at the Council on Foreign Relations, and Biden interjects, and I work for Richard, and I work for Richard. There are many notable CFR members, and again, I know you, we haven't talked about this, so you're just going to have to take my word for it or study it on your own. I've got plenty of resources over there that talk about it, but this is not a right-left paradigm. Trump had 67 members of the CFR in his administration, 67. 
He drained the swamp right into his cabinet. And so here are some notable CFR members. You can look through them and see how key a role the CFR has played in governing the world. Uh, including, by the way, and I, I talked about this, I was on a radio program back in 2016 when Neil Gorsuch was put forth by uh, Trump, and uh, it was a call-in show. I was just a guest, but the conservative uh, pundit that was running the show uh, was all talking about how wonderful Neil Gorsuch was, and I immediately said, not so fast. You just wait. I don't, I'm not impressed with him at all. I know his history, and of course, I ended up being right, but uh, I wish I wasn't. But these uh, Luciferians really do like to play God. And they actually think of themselves of God. When they read the uh, creation account in Genesis 1, they see God as the antagonist and the serpent as the hero. They, he's the real God. Uh, and in fact, Saul Alinsky, I've talked about this elsewhere, actually dedicated his book to Lucifer. And uh, he told Playboy magazine in a, an interview uh, that I can't wait to get to hell because those are my kind of people. Saul Alinsky, who was President Obama's hero. And again, it's not a right-left paradigm. Saul Alinsky made those comments in the interview at Playboy magazine about 18 years before Donald Trump was on the cover of his friend Hugh Hefner's Playboy magazine. So it's a, it's, there's really no right-left paradigm, but these people love Satan. Uh, here's a, a great book about uh, Marx and Satan. I've got a copy of this book. I recommend it. And Karl Marx, of course, said, with Satan, I have struck my deal. He chalks the signs, beats time for me, and I play the death march fast and free. Remember, Satan loves death. David Rockefeller said, the social experiment in China under Chairman Mao is one of the most important and successful in human history. I mean, this stuff is all over the place, and most people just don't even pay attention to it. But they are playing God through their transhumanist uh, agenda, Transhumanism is the merging of man and machine. It's, it's a redefining of humanity. You know, we're all familiar with this term trans. It's become, you know, quite the catchphrase today. Trans means whatever you want it to mean. Transgender, transracial. I consider myself transvaccinated, you know. So uh, it's just really, it's just what you put trans in front of it, you can be whatever you want, right? I'm also a trans NBA star. But anyway, uh, uh, but the Bible tells us that God created man in his image, and we talked last night about how that means male and female. And we have the image of God and man. We're the only created uh, part of the world, the only created being, if you will, that has that distinction. It's what sets us apart. It's what makes us redeemable by faith alone in Christ alone. Some more Klaus Schwab quotes talking about transhumanism now. The mind-boggling innovations triggered by the fourth IR from biotechnology to AI, artificial intelligence, are redefining what it means to be human. See, the one frontier that they have yet to conquer, and they're ever so close, is creation. Right? They cannot create life ex nihilo out of nothing. God spoke, and it was. They can't. They're trying to be, be, create life out of technology, but they didn't start with nothing. Uh, but anyway, that's the frontier they're trying to. Uh, to conquer. He says, the future will challenge our understanding of what it means to be human from both a biological and social standpoint. Already advances in neurotechnologies and biotechnologies are forcing us to question what it means to be human. These are all from his book, uh, COVID-19, The Great Reset and The Fourth IR. So they're talking about the Internet of Things. And Catherine Austin Fitz in the documentary Planet Lockdown from last year says, quote, the technology that they are pushing towards is what is called transhumanism. Essentially what you do is you use injections 
to inject materials into the body that create the equivalent of an operating system and a receiver. And you can literally hook anybody up to the cloud. It's called the Internet of Things or the IoT. You basically are talking about being able to digitally identify and track people in connection with their financial transactions. So it's a world of zero privacy. You're now talking about a system where every central bank in the world can shut you off individually from transacting if they do not like the way you are behaving. I was mentioning to someone offline last night between sessions that, uh, and you may know this, but in China, which is already way ahead of us in terms of the social credit score, the Internet of Things, complete 100% global or national surveillance, if you are caught jaywalking before you get to the other side of the street, they've already debited your bank account for the fine. That's how it works. And so it, this is what Catherine Austin Fitz is talking about. You get, uh, you come to a checkpoint to cross a state line, and they look you up. Up, oh, sorry, you uh, were mean yesterday, or you bought some, you know, uh, you filled your car up with gasoline, and that's a no-no. You've used too much heat or too much energy this week, so sorry, you don't get to make this purchase. You don't get to cross this line. So, and never forget that the cloud is just somebody else's computer. And uh, in this case, in the Internet of Things, it's tied directly to the servers of the Luciferian uh, elite. So if you go back to Genesis 3, and we're going to talk about this in the second hour, uh, the uh, Genesis 3 account. Uh, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And thus began uh, the lie. These, there are two basic driving principles of transhumanism, and both of them come from Satan himself. You won't die, immortality, and you'll become like God. You'll be like God. And that's what Satan said from the very beginning. And that's what these Luciferians are striving for. Ray Kurzweil, the, probably the most famous transhumanist, says, Our desire is on purpose to create a post-human species. People will, quote, no longer be human. In fact, he was asked in an interview, does God exist? And he says, well, does God exist? I would say not yet, but we're working on it. We're trying to create God. Um, other leading transhumanists, of course, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and, and many politicians and world leaders are co-conspirators. Elon Musk famously said, pretty soon we'll be able to turn you into a blank butterfly if we want to. They're just playing God. They're utterly playing God. You see mainstream news organizations like the Wall Street Journal talking about looking forward to the end of humanity. So, uh, Globalism and the coming one world religion, we know that it's happening. We know a lot about the religious aspect of it because the book of Revelation spells it out. At some point during the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to walk into the temple, desecrate it, set himself up as God, and demand that the whole world worship him or be beheaded. That's your option. Obviously, as believers, we believe we will be rescued before the tribulation, so we won't have to face that particular event. But if the Lord tarries his coming, we may have to face some pretty difficult circumstances the way many other brothers and sisters in Christ have for the last 2,000 years all across the world. We are not somehow, we have this American exceptionalistic view of life as if somehow Christians in America will never have to face that. I wish that were true, and it may be. I mean, if the Lord were to call us to meet him in the air today, then most of us can say we've escaped the worst of the worst. And praise God if that were to happen. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. But it may not happen. And so we need to be prepared. So I just wanted to mention uh, some of these other uh, uh, titles in the series. I've, I'm dropping part seven this Wednesday, but part one and parts one through six are all available for you to watch. Part one was The Great Satanic Reset. 
where I go into more detail about what we talked about this morning. Uh, part two was COVID-19 and depopulation, and uh, you'd be amazed at how blatant their depopulation agenda is. I go back into the early eugenics movements in the United States of America in the first part of the 20th century and people like Margaret Sanger. And then part three is COVID-19 and the experimental bioinjections, the gene editing bioinjections. Part four is Agenda 2030 and the Luciferian timetable. Part five is preparedness tips. And then the most recent one is can we trust the government? And I give you some uh, pretty good uh, tools to use for how to discern when the government might be lying. And then part seven, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to be doing it live a Wednesday night. It's always live streamed or available on a video. So uh, again, if we go back to Genesis 6, I think we've basically returned to that type of pivotal life-changing moment in God's plan of the ages. And God had saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And uh, we're dealing with, you know, genetic, genetically modified humans today, not unlike what they did back then. And then uh, Paul, as a reminder, said, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being uh, deceived. So uh, we'll stop there for now. In the second hour uh, this morning, I'm going to preach more of a sermon and go verse by verse through Genesis 3 and talk about how we can avoid deception because Satan unlike God, is not creative. He doesn't have that creative aspect. So he's using the same old tired methods that he's used for 6,000 years. And if we can figure out those methods, which we can, it makes us far less likely to be susceptible to deception. And in this great last days of deception, we need to be on guard against deception more than ever before. So let me pray, and then we'll take a break. Father, thank you for our time together this morning, and just thank you for the fact that your word gives us everything we need even in crazy times like this, to discern truth and navigate these troubling waters. We pray if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you, that in simple childlike faith they would place their faith in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for their sins and is the only hope for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And simply by faith they would become a child of God. And so, Lord, we just ask now your blessings on this time of fellowship and on the worship hour to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.